Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody again to Let Freedom Reign podcast. Here we are at episode number three. Our guest today is Kurt Little. He's the owner and creative director of Relv Camo and North Powder. For more information on Relv Camo, go to relvcamo.com, R-E-L-V-C-A-M-O.com. His company, North Powder, is a creative arts company. Their website is northpowder.com, N-O-R-T-H-P-O-W-D-E-R.com. In this episode, we discuss Kurt's start ranching in the Mountain West, all the way to his experience of being an owner and director of a creative arts company. Kurt discusses how the horse has taught him applicable lessons in all seasons of his life. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you listen to would mean the world to us. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Kurt Little. Kurt, how are you today? Good. I want to thank you very much. First and foremost, before we get rolling, thank you for taking time out of your busy life uh, for Let Freedom Reign podcast and and sharing your story. Absolutely, man. I'm glad glad, uh, you reached out. Glad to be here. And I know we talked a few weeks back. What's what's been new in the last few weeks? Uh, The camo business is really spinning up. Uh, with Relv, um, my wife is heading that up, and then my other company, North Powder, we're good old Microsoft is keeping us pretty busy these days. So good, good, good. good. We'll get we'll get into both of those companies here in a little bit. Okay, but I like to just start off most episodes with allowing you to introduce yourself a little bit, so the listeners have an understanding of who you are and where you're coming from. Okay, uh, my name is Kurt Little, and uh, currently live in Northern Utah. Uh, born and raised in Utah, but this has been many, many years uh, between then and my moving back recently. The last few years, we came back to Utah. Background is uh, just a country kid and uh, horseman and cowboy, and uh, at some point learned to use a computer. So uh, now I'm doing a lot of multimedia graphic design stuff. So uh, got a wife and a Teenage son, just glad to be happy and glad to be alive. No, it's great. I think in looking back at who you are and kind of what you've done, you've run almost both ends of the spectrum, right? You've, you've lived the life of a cowboy, and now you're deeply enthralled in the technology field and in creative arts and stuff like that, which is kind of polar opposites. So it'd be interesting to learn how that, how that blend took place. So if you sure, don't mind, yeah. let's, let's get started with the cowboy side of it. And how'd you, how'd you, how'd you first get introduced to horses? So we didn't have horses growing up. My parents, uh, at the time, we couldn't afford it. So I uh, was absolutely in love with horses. And so my mother found ways for me to be around them with the neighbors. And uh, from the time I was a little boy, we had this neighbor that had a big black horse that I would uh, deliver apples to on my way to school. And I was hooked. Um, my 
cousins, we had a farm as a family, dairy farm, and some of my cousins had horses. So I always, that was my dream was to be able to spend time with them and ride with them. So, um, yeah, so that was growing up. When I was a teenager, uh, same thing. Just loved being on the farm, around them, uh, spend my summers there with my aunt and uncle riding their horses. Um, it's probably my early, my early 20s. Uh, I got tired of milking cows on the dairy. Understandable. To, yep. I moved to uh, northern Nevada, went to work for the Ellison Ranching Company and buckarooed out there on the Spanish Ranch. And uh, from there, cowboyed on different ranches throughout Utah, Wyoming, Idaho, and uh, one in Oregon. So actually two, two in Oregon. So yeah, um, did a short stint in the rodeo arena, uh, just working for uh, Diamond G Rodeos out of uh, Utah and uh, Louis Field, and uh, decided that the ranch life was uh, what I preferred over the rodeo life. So that was kind of it. Segue into the computer stuff. Is that what you want to know about? Sure. So the computer stuff came, uh, I was working for a uh, share land and livestock out of uh, just outside of Evanston, Wyoming. One night, the owner, who was very successful uh, financially, he and I were riding back to the ranch after sorting pears. And uh, he asked me what my plans were. I was probably 22 at the time. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to own a ranch like this someday. And he laughed. <laughs> and he said, not working for me, you won't. And I was puzzled by that. And he said, listen, you know, you're an artist, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, why don't you learn to use a computer with that art of yours and go make a, go make a real living. And then you can have a ranch, you can afford a ranch like this someday. Well, that intrigued me. So I got a loan from my grandpa, the dairy farmer, and I bought my first computer. And when I was working on the Spanish ranch up in uh, Tuscarora, Nevada, I spent every night learning the software and uh, just taught myself. So the rest was history, as they say. So that started my career into graphics. That's impressive. Now, in going back a little bit about your history, you talked about working in ranching outfits and then having a brief stint in rodeo and, and you found your love to be kind of on the ranching end of it. Mm -hmm. Explain to folks the different styles as far as, you know, your approach to ranching versus your approach to horsemanship in rodeo and your, yeah. your, your experiences on either side and then how you were drawn to ranching versus rodeo. Yeah, first first I want to caveat with the fact that I, I don't want to paint uh, the rodeo crowd as non-horsemen. Um, but the guys that I worked with, some of them were pretty rough with the horses. And I didn't have a whole lot of experience, and so I, I really thought that was the way that you handled horses. And I got into some wrecks, some real wrecks uh, as a young man. And uh, the guy that taught me to rope, he was pretty heavy-handed with horses. I didn't really know better, but, uh, you know, he used to build these head stalls that actually had a bicycle chain for a noseband. Oh, and Lord. he had these, yeah, he had these makeshift uh, hackamores that uh, he would use on these um, horses that he had. And he was a big team roper and had been for many years. So I didn't really know any better. Um so I went along with it and then, and he did teach me to rope. Um, then one day I saw his uh, grandson whipping a horse with a length of garden hose and 
I just thought that that isn't right. And so I brought it up with the old guy and basically he told me if, you know, it's my way or the highway. So I left and never saw him again. <laughs> so crazy. that, that became, yeah, that, that started my journey into finding out more about horsemanship and really becoming a horseman. There was a guy at that point in my life who I, I found, um, in Spanish Fork, Utah, his name was Bill Boswell, and he had uh, grown up on the Wine Cup Ranch out in Nevada and had learned from Tom Dorrance and Bill Dorrance and Ray Hunt. He was kind of a protege, kind of similar to Buck Brandman, if you will. Yeah. Um, and there was a bunch of those guys at that period of time in the 80s that followed Ray Hunt and Tom and Bill. And, and being a Californian, you already know about the Dorrance brothers. Oh, yes, sir. The history runs so, deep. Uh, yeah, so um, I started to follow Bill Boswell because I got invited to attend one of his clinics in Spanish Fork, and I watched him take a a colt that was raw, and they brought him into the round corral, and you know the the classic story of kind of the Ray Hunt proteges. You know, the colt comes in and he's bucking and snorting, and first thing Bill does is moving him around the round corral, then he ropes him. Um, and the roping was phenomenal, great big loop. And it was a gentle catch. It wasn't anything, you know, rodeo, like wild and Western, like I'd been taught to do up to that point. Yeah. Um, he's just, and he did it with ease, the great big loop. And within an hour, he had this 12 year old kid riding this colt, uh, bareback with nothing but a halter on its head, a rope halter. And I knew I'd found what I was looking for. So I started to follow this Bill Boswell around. And as the years went by, we became very good friends. And my roping, uh, you know, he taught me to rope, throw the fancy big loop stuff. And um, yeah, it's just great. So he introduced me to this buckaroo lifestyle that was different than the rodeo scene that I'd been a part of. And that took me to Oregon and again, Nevada and Southern Utah. So I embraced this, this California style of horsemanship and my tack changed, my saddles changed. You know, I adopted this uh, slick fork saddle and uh, bosals and hackamores and then finally into straight up bridle and then eventually bought my first spade bit. So anyway, I hope, hopefully that gives you a little bit of information, but um, yeah, just just really embrace the classic old old vaquero style horsemanship. Yeah, I ran kind of a, a parallel experience myself when I got back into horses. I just figured I'd jump into team rope and I had played baseball the lion's share of my life to that point, and I was good at throwing a baseball. So heck, let's start throwing a loop. Yep. And uh, I realized very quickly that that I was out of my league as far as the horsemanship side of it goes. Through self reflection and stuff, I realized. I was athletic enough that I'd be able to figure out the actual roping portion of it. Mm -hmm. However, I had some huge lessons to learn as far as horsemanship is involved. And, and I got out of roping completely just to focus on the horse and learn everything about it, right? How they communicate with themselves, how we communicate with them. Mm -hmm. And it's been awesome journey for me and learning the varying perspectives. And it's funny that, I guess, how do I explain this? A lot of the rodeo horses, right? They are, they're a specialized athlete, you know, they're yep. good at whatever their given vent is. And, and you equate it to other sports. Football players are great at football. Probably not the best golfers, right? And vice versa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
but once you start getting into horsemanship and understanding that animal and, and, and communicating with that animal, you can make a lot more versatile horses. And in that varying experience, you just get, in my opinion, you get a lot more out of it as a human being, you know, the, the safety and the confidence and the willingness for both you and your horse is just, it's impressive. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And those horses grow up fast in that ranching world. You know, you're working in open fields and you're working in small pens and. Yep. Yeah. I'll take a, a, a solid ranch gelding over a team roping, you know, over a header horse any day. Oh, in it's, the round, it's, yeah. It's, I was going to say and, it's the most sought after resource in, in, in the horse world, I, I think is a ranch gelding. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. We would have uh, friends of the ranch owners show up, and they were team ropers, and they'd bring in, you know, a head a head and horse. And um, some of them were dialed in, and then others were just a wreck, you know, because they're they're just hopped all the time. So I'd take a quiet, I'd take a quiet, solid gelding, the ranch gelding, over a you know an athlete, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> any day no it's 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 true and and this is just my experience and in no way am i professing to be a, a professional or an expert in this but mm-hmm. when you start applying time to anything right the stress of time and you think about it the time of a, of a, a sports match or a game right if you're into mm-hmm. shooting right time shooting once you start applying the stress of time a lot of the technique goes right out the window because you focus on achieving a goal before the time expires where when you start to peel back the layers of horsemanship, it's reversed, right? You focus on that Mm -hmm. goal and the time necessarily doesn't even matter. And when you focus that, yeah, when you focus that in your foundational training and in anything that you do and developing that, that skill set, that's where you really, really start to build some, some successful animals. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think an example of that, Jason is this last week, my son won a buckle, uh, at a rodeo, team roping and he took this gelding that had never been in the arena in terms of, you know, being a dedicated head horse and he won and he credits it to, you know, as quickly as that gelding took to heading that steer, you know, my son credited it to just the years of working cattle on the ranch. You know, he knows how to track a steer. And so backing into the box was a little bit stressful for him because he'd never done it before. But as soon as uh, he saw that steer, he knew exactly what was going to happen and put him, put my son right on top of him and was able to catch two and away you go. So, and the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. So I think foundationally, yeah, you can't beat a ranch horse as long as they've been, as long as they've been handled well, you know, I mean, I think that's the one point is that there are horse men and horse women and just owning a horse doesn't make you one. Oh, you know, I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah, it's a lifestyle and it's a dedicated lifestyle to make good horses. Yeah, and it's uh and you talk about that, right? With young horses and a lot of folks, I mean it seems like imprinting, right, is the now the popular mm-hmm. hotbed. With your foals. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I get it, right? You do have to you have to get them to accept a human being enough to safely handle them, especially should there be an emergency. Yeah, but you watch yeah. some of these folks and they're hand feeding horses and hugging on them horses, and you you see these little yeah. bitty foals. Now they're innocent and they're little, so it's not yeah. that big of a deal. But these foals will get to leaning on people and pushing on people oh, yeah. and pushing them out of the way, which is all great yeah. when they're all cute. But when it ends up at twelve hundred pounds and it's it's instilled that habit since day one, yeah, you're, you're making yep. for a lot of problems. 
you know, I think one of the best jobs I've ever seen done on with imprinting has to be Genevieve Allen. I don't know if you've met Genevieve yet, but it's funny. Uh, Genevieve uh, is actually episode number two on this podcast. We've had many conversations oh, about handling horses. Yeah, perfect, perfect. I think she is a phenomenal horsewoman and does a great job of getting a good start on her colts. Yeah, she had a. Uh, and for those of you who haven't heard, you can go back to episode number two, and Genevieve tells her story of, of a horrific crash, and basically she wasn't given a, a fair chance to live through the night and ends up recovering very, very rapidly, but her biggest takeaway was was patience when we talked about, hey, what were your life experiences, what did you learn, and how do you apply it to horses, and, mm-hmm. and her answer was just that, that it's okay to have bad days, it's okay to make mistakes, mm-hmm. as long as you continue to work and, and, and have a positive outlook, and that's what she, she even admitted. She said, I didn't want anything to do with Colts. Yeah. I wanted the four and five-year-old horses. It had somewhat of a foundation and we could get to work. And, and after her collision and, and some, some reflection, her passion is now just that, working with Colts. Yeah. No, she's fantastic at it. That's good stuff. So tell us more about, um, let's start with North Powder, your creative arts business. Yeah. So North Powder is a creative agency that I started 20 years ago. I started it literally out of the bedroom of my house. The company is named after North Powder, Oregon, which is just off the 84 freeway between Boise and Pendleton. Uh, It's just actually south of LaGrande, Oregon. And I named my company after that area because I had this cowboy's dream of building a ranch uh, in the mountains there in North Powder. And uh, so I used it as a uh, a point of motivation every time I was in that area to remind myself why I'm working so hard. So that's the name of the company. I think and that's an awesome concept. Yeah. And it makes for a cool name, you know, North yeah, Powder. Absolutely. So North Powder is a creative agency that services basically marketing teams um, who are trying to tell their story. And then uh, we've gotten into product development with a lot of companies. We've developed toys with uh, DC Comics and Marvel. Uh, we've done some work with Hasbro over the years on uh, Nerf, Koosh, actually, on their IPs. Um, and then we do everything from you know logo design to animation, digital video, all kinds of uh, advertising support. So we are not an ad agency. We are the basically the SWAT team or the strike team that, that helps these ad agencies create compelling content, yeah, really, really cool running. content. No, and yep. I was looking back through through some of the research of North Powder, and I think an amazing project that you guys were involved in was the uh, Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. Yes, yeah, that was a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, do you mind sharing a little bit about your experience? Yeah. And how, how that all came to be? Yeah, so, so uh, Taya and the foundation reached out. We had dinner in, um, or we had breakfast at shot show a couple of years ago through the conversation. They, they offered the opportunity to design for them a couple of, uh, shirt designs and do some graphics work for the foundation. And so we did uh, a couple of t-shirt designs. It was just a great experience. I am not a veteran myself. I worked as a contractor, for the Department of Defense, but I have a, a soft spot for our veterans. My family has a long history of military service. So we, you know, we support our troops and we support law enforcement. And we support our EMS. 
folks. And so the Chris Kyle Foundation, Frog Foundation, was a natural, a natural thing for me. I mean, it was the answer was of course. I would love to work with you guys. I never met Chris Kyle, but one of the things that was really cool about that experience was Taya gave me permission to have access to video and photos of Chris Kyle, you know, when he was younger. And a lot of us know the story of the American sniper, but for me, I got this glimpse into his life as a young man. And and it was funny because our birthdays are very close. Chris and I are the same age. Birthdays are very close. And we were going through these cowboying years at the same time. I was in the mountain West and Chris was in Texas, but it, as I learned more about him from Taya, um, and then I looked at video of his life as a young man and photos of him branding calves and uh, starting colts, it just reminded me a lot of, you know, that part of my life. And so, like I said, like I've never met Chris Kyle, never had that honor, but I felt like I, like he was almost there. I could kind of feel who he was as I would put these projects together for the foundation. So. I appreciate Taya and the foundation for giving that, giving me that opportunity to get a glimpse into his life and learn more about who he was long before he ever became famous for his uh, service in the military. Yeah, I was going to say, what an amazing experience for you to kind of see the foundation that was set that, that painted a, a very huge picture, profound picture. Yeah, yeah, yep. And I think it's awesome what that foundation is doing because – there are plenty of programs out there that, that help the military and those who have served. But I mean, with every single soldier, firefighter, cop out there, you know, it's, it's a family that supports that endeavor. And oftentimes those family members don't get the recognition that they need. And it's imperative that when that soldier or cop or firefighter steps out that door, that their head's right and they can go to work and do their job. And they're not worrying about, whatever issues there are going at, going on at home. So for them to mm-hmm. place an emphasis on, on strengthening the marriage and strengthening the family of, of servicemen and women, it's, it's more than commendable. It's a, it's a side that I think is oftentimes overlooked. Mm-hmm. Impressive, yep. impressive stuff. Could, couldn't agree more. We, uh, we had the opportunity to go to the, to uh, Chris's birthday celebration in Fort Worth. It was, it was great um, to see, the money that was going to these folks that needed that support. Um, also the getaways and the, you know, the weekend weekend packages that they were providing to these families of law enforcement and EMS folks and military to help uh, strengthen their marriages. Um, I know on a, on a personal level, I can definitely attest that, you know, the importance of a solid marriage and investing in that. And I'm just, uh, I was impressed that the Chris, Chris Kyle Frog Foundation is working that hard to help these uh, marriages to be strong. So, yeah, so many folks that, that are drawn to those professions, you know, they're striving for excellence and perfection and they, they, they want to dominate any competition mm-hmm. that they come across. And mm-hmm. in my experience and watching, you know, friends and, and family, sometimes those personalities lose sight of what's truly important. You get so overwhelmed in your professional success that a lot of what's important kind of takes a back burner. Yeah. Yep. And you get so involved in your success that you don't have the foresight to even see 
things are starting to unravel. Right. You know, so right. it, in a lot of this stuff we talk about, whether it's horses or, you know, life or work, uh, I wish, or one thing I would stress to folks is to really, really, really try to find that balance. Yeah. You know, you can, you can be a good employee and a good father and a good horseman and it's better than being a great father and a terrible horseman and a, and a miserable employee, you know, <laughs> but everybody's got to do that soul searching and find out what's important for them and, yeah. and how they're going to achieve that in their relationships. So, so that, that's an interesting point because I think about how in my own personal progression, how over time I started to figure some of that out because I remember when I was a young man, I definitely made a lot of mistakes in relationships and with even relationships with my horses, um, trying to force things and trying to be, you know, the alpha all the time. Yeah. And what, it wasn't until I watched Bill Boswell metaphorically, I guess, dance with the horse and I don't want to name drop and stuff too much, but I also was impressed with, you know, the work I've seen with Chris Cox and, um, Buck Branneman and some of these great horsemen who horsemen who I've looked at through the years and tried to emulate a lot of their philosophies and the way that they approached their horses and their relationships. And that was something that I really, um, I didn't see as much in the rodeo world um, as I did in uh, the ranch, the ranching uh, world was how the relationship between the horse, it was constant and it seemed like a lot of these horsemen and horsewomen who I looked up to, even today, they still treat and approach relationships with humans and horses the same way. Um, in the rodeo world, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, I felt like it's just different. And uh, a lot of guys, you know, I'd see these guys fly in, jump on a horse like it was a four-wheeler, and you know, do their thing. And then they catch a flight out to the next rodeo. And they're phenomenal horsemen in the rodeo business just to, to get that out yeah, there. But sure. I do think, I do think generally speaking, the horse is somewhat viewed as a tool in the yeah. lion's share of rodeo, right? I'm not talking pro rodeo. I'm talking rodeo in its entirety, right? A lot of people yep. look at that, that animal is, it's a tool, which yep. I agree yep. to some degree. Yep. Yeah. It's going to, it's a vehicle that gets you from point A to point B. Um, and I want to echo what you're just saying. There are definitely horsemen in the rodeo world, but I gravitated to traditional horsemanship just because I saw the relationship and the investment going on between man and horse. And I love that. Yeah. There's gotta be something in it for them. Yeah. And I also think there's a, if I can touch on the spiritual side of that, there's that connection that you have when you've invested and you're connected with your horse there is that that aspect of it where you literally have i don't want to get too deep on people here but i believe that there's a connection spirit to spirit between a, a human and this horse and anyone who you've ever seen have that it's undeniable you know whether they're in the arena you know riding this horse without a bridle um, or working cattle they're a team and, and the dances, uh, you know, these two partners is undeniable. But I, what I love about that is it's not a person just jumping on a horse as a tool. They're partners and they, they work together. Yeah. It's an investment in a team member. 
yeah, and you see a you you see a horse willingly working rather than working out of fear uh, or intimidation. Yeah, so, I, I equate a lot of it to team sports, you know, and I think chemistry is a big deal, and and I've played on some teams where there's a lot of really, really, really talented talented folks mm-hmm. on that team. The mm-hmm. chemistry was not there. Nobody got along. Nobody cared to hang out with each other. Nobody cared to learn about any you know each other. And yep, those teams went went well in the in the sake that talent kind of overcame some of those adversities. But mm-hmm. one of the more successful teams that I ever played on. I mean, it was just a scrappy bunch of athletes, but the chemistry and the way we gelled and, and how we believed in each other pushed us mm-hmm. farther than, than what our talent should have. Mm-hmm. You know, and I yep. think a lot of it has to do with, or a lot of it is applicable to horsemanship. You know, when you start to develop that chemistry and, yeah. and everybody starts to, to click, uh, mm-hmm. that's when you really, really, really start to see the growth and the success start to take place. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'll give you a quick example. I was telling you about early in my 20s about, you know, learning to team rope, roping with guys that use these bicycle chains over their noseband of their head stall. That was brutal to me. Yeah, and you would see I you would see agree. a horse. Yeah, you, you would see a horse go through um, a run in the arena, but he was doing it because he was absolutely forced to. And there was an attitude of resentment and sadness in his eyes. And then I've seen guys do uh, rope with no reins at all. Like they come out of the box and this guy does not have a head stall on this horse and they are a team Yeah. and they head, they head that steer and crank it left for the healer to come in and there's nothing on his head. Yeah. And this horse, this horse is just loving it. And he is absolutely dialed in, you know, he and his human. And that's amazing to see. Completely different experiences. Oh, it's incredible to watch when you start to foster that that willingness in a, in a horse. And mm-hmm. my horse, I've spoken about it a few times on this show, and he was a head horse, and he runs a little hot, and I think he did a lot of things out of fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, putting being put in those pressure situations um, without having an, an ability to to learn what was taking place. Yeah. Um, so yep. we got completely out of it. I made it my goal in learning myself and, and enough self-reflection to try to just instill trust in the horse that, you know, the human being is good and we will give you a fair shake. And it's amazing that when you just focus on rewarding the try of the animal. Yeah. I mean, from there you can ask them anything and they'd be willing willing to make an effort at it. Yeah. And I think the horse is is a great mirror for for us as human beings. Um, they sense obviously us and what you know what's going on with us. And what I've always loved about the horse is the honesty, just the raw honesty. If he's going to buck you off, he's going to tell you it's coming, and, he's, and it's coming. And and he's he's been trying to tell you the whole time. I always find it interesting when people do get dumped and they you know they're so surprised by it but he's been trying to tell him the whole time, yeah. you know, we've got a, we've got a problem here. Um, but I love how a horse is a mirror of us as humans. And if you're a mean person, chances are <laughs> your horses are going to be that way too. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's the same thing. Frankly, I train dogs as well. We have Australian shepherds as stock dogs and my son, um, 
rodeos, but he also competes with his dogs. And uh, you can tell when the when he and the dog are having a bad day, and that dog is a direct reflection of my son and his his attitude that day and what's going on. But we got to watch him compete in Boise a couple weeks ago, and he won, and uh, they won. He and his dog, and what a team, you know. And it's great to see the chemistry there too. So anyway, no, I I've just been, I've been grateful for the opportunities in the arena where you don't even see the emotion in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. We'll be riding or working on something and, and I can tell yep. that the horse is getting frustrated, but I'm so yep. focused on the goal that I'm not paying attention. Well, I, I'm the one that's frustrated and I'm not being articulate enough in, in my mm-hmm. timing and my feel. And mm-hmm. But I'll start to see it in the horse first. And then once I start to see it in the horse, then I the light bulb kind of clicks like, oh, maybe I should take a second and figure out what I got going on because you know, yep. I'm fostering it in this animal. And, and it's it's amazing when you take a step back and start to understand the horse on that level. Uh, However, it takes a lot of work and a lot of self-awareness to get there. It's not, not something that comes very easy at all. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. I, um, I remember I had this Sarl Gilding years ago who I, I literally taught him to buck and it was because I knew very little. And every time I would put my foot in the stirrup to get on him in the round trial, he could sense that I was afraid. And I, I literally taught this horse to buck. He would wait until I'd get my other foot in the stirrup. And it was just like I said, go. And he would just start. Cut loose. It was, ridic- yeah. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But I blamed myself for that. And I learned a lot of lessons with that horse because I, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, the other thing I, I do want to say, though, is, is horses, if you're kind, most of the time they're forgiving as well. I mean, I, I, you know, the old adage of horses take care of fools and children, yeah. I think is true because I, oh, I I've done a lot of stupid things through the years until I learned to done do it more better. than enough foolish stuff. Right. And I, you know, it's amazing as I look back that I, I wasn't killed, but these horses, you know, they take care of fools and children. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> and I think it's an exciting time to be involved in the, the horsemanship side of the industry because, I mean, you look back at, it's all been generational learning, right? And you talk about some yeah. old school cowboys that, that taught you your ways or, or that you got to yeah. the, to see early on, right? Yep. No fault to them. That's the best that they knew, right? And somebody probably yeah, introduced, exactly. a, introduced a yep. problem to them or a horse introduced a problem to them and they couldn't figure out a better way to do it than throw a chain over, over a horse's nose. Yep, yep. The downside is, is that, and you know this working on multiple outfits all over the country. Yep, yep each outfit is going to probably have their go-to horseman, right? When nobody else can figure everything out, you'd bring it to, to so-and-so. Pretty much, yeah. But now with with the access that we have to a lot of these horse, I mean, great horsemen with, with social media and the internet and clinics and mm-hmm. videos, yep. I mean, this is the legacy that I think our generation owes to the next to yeah. learn everything that we can learn from these guys that have come before us and pass it on to the next. So... We're not creating yep. horses at buck. We're creating the horse at bucks. You, you know, you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. It's tough to do because it's hard to admit that we're screwing up more than we're helping, but the resources yeah. are out there. The help's out there. Yeah, and I, th- I think, um, with like you said, with social media and the internet, the availability of content on YouTube, that kind of thing, it is amazing. We've never had this level of, of content available to us ever in the history of mankind. 
Um, but we still have to do our due diligence and sort through and find out where the really good stuff is, because it's just like any other service that's marketed to the rest of us. It, you've got your good and you've got your bad. And so I definitely would caution those that are listening to the show is that, you know, definitely do your homework and, um, find, find the really good stuff. And that's a tough part with a lot of this industry, right? With the, with the horse industry specifically. Yeah. It's so, which I appreciate it's so unregulated, but I mean, shoot, I could go print business cards today and call myself a farrier. Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm going to screw up a lot more feet than I'm going to fix. Yeah, and you're going to lame horses. Yeah, but I think each individual has to do, like you said, do their due diligence and find out what they believe are credible sources because yeah. it's funny. I mean, you talk about social media. You find all these life coaches. Yes. Like you're 25 years old and just graduated yep. college that your your parents paid for. Yep. And you're going to tell coach. me how to live my life? <laughs> you know, those resources yeah. are out there in, in every industry. Yeah. So yeah, you do have to do your homework as a consumer and make sure you are you are getting it from a credible source. But yeah, I think we're but, we're in a far better situation than we were ten years ago. Oh, for sure. I think um, one thing I also want to interject in there, Jason, is just the attitude of constant evolution and being open to learning all the time. Because I think sometimes in the horse world, I use that since that's our topic. Um, there's a lot of bravado. There's a lot of ego, especially obviously in competition. But I think the happiest people and the happiest horses come from the willingness to be open to learning all the time. Yeah. So the evolution takes place all the time. Um, to relate that to the business side of it, earlier you asked about North Powder um, and Relv. For me, I have this years ago, I made this rule for myself that every three years I reinvent myself. And what I mean by that is I pick a goal and I tell myself, okay, I'm going to go learn everything I can learn about X. And that's what I do. Um, Two years ago, that was I want to learn to design camouflage. And there's a company out of Southern Utah who I approached. Uh, the company is Scree Gear, S-K-R-E gear.com. And I approached them about designing some apparel. And we did design some t-shirts, some hats, that kind of thing. And in conversation, they said, hey, we're looking for a new camouflage pattern. And that was my goals. I wanted to learn to design camouflage. And they're like, have you ever done that? And I said, no, but I'm willing to learn everything I can about it. So they gave me the opportunity to come up with some designs. I came up with 33 designs, 33 different camouflage patterns, and presented them to them. And they picked the one that they liked the most, and we iterated on that. And that, long story short, became their latest camouflage pattern called Summit. And it was at that moment that my wife and I realized, we have something here, and this is your next evolution. So my wife and I started the LLC, RELV, R-E-L-V, LLC. And we started designing camouflage officially. That's how our little company started one year ago officially. I think it's awesome. The humility, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I I try to be. You know, you definitely need that attitude when you're learning because you're going to make a lot of mistakes. But I wanted to tell, I wanted to share that story on your show because I think when people think about 
you know, I want to do something with my life. I have these goals. I want to do something really cool. There is nothing holding us back but ourselves because you have, like I said earlier, access to the greatest content the world has ever seen and the greatest uh, mind share that we've ever had access to with YouTube. I mean, I'm amazed at the millions of people who are willing to share experiences and knowledge for free on YouTube. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, there's no excuse for not learning a skill because it's available to you if you have an internet connection. And so, yeah, just sharing that experience of if you want to start a business, do it. Get in there and learn what you need to know. Talk to people who are in the industry who are willing to, to share and mentor. And then just get after it and make your mistakes and learn as you go and bootstrap that sucker and you know, get into it. I think it's so much more rewarding in that aspect rather than being handed a lineage or being handed a business. Oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. You know, because when, when the tides turned for me, I was buried in my profession. I got, I, I rode a little bit as a kid, rode horses mm -hmm. a little bit as a kid, got away from it to do baseball because um, mm -hmm. my family couldn't afford to do both. Yep. Same. And yep. baseball was a more popular route, right? I figured there's a better chance of me getting some recognition doing that. And Yep. And it gave me opportunities that my family probably couldn't have otherwise, which I'm very, very grateful for. But uh, long story short, I got buried in my profession. Uh, I decided I, I need to get back into horses, kind of clear my head and get get into something other than what I'm working on. And Yeah, yeah. And I started out kind of doing the roping thing, and then, then the draw came of horsemanship. And, and I spent many, many nights praying and trying to figure out how I can better serve the horse and better serve those around me. Mm -hmm. And... You talk about you getting out of your own way. I mean, truly, I've had conversations with some of the greatest horsemen in the world. I've learned from some of the greatest horsemen in the world. I've been afforded opportunities that there's no other logical explanation other than than faith and, and divine intervention. You know, this is, and I truly believe I've been put on this earth to to use horses to help others. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had many, many rewarding experiences, uh, such as the the advent of this podcast. You know, I've been on national television shows talking about horses. I've had phenomenal opportunities from saddle companies and saddle pad companies and, mm -hmm. and, and a clothing apparel and clothing lines. And there's no other logical explanation other <laughs> than this is his plan for me. Yeah. You know, life's yep. been so much more rewarding that way other than me trying to control all the success myself. Yes. Well, I think on with, with uh, those opportunities – you know, a person can also, well, and you've done it, you create opportunities as well. Yeah. I think sometimes, especially, um, I think especially now, there's so much information coming at us. It's difficult to sort it out and it's difficult to know where to start. Um, and so I think a lot of people are paralyzed because, you know, there's just so much. It's overwhelming. Yeah, it's information overload. Um, so yeah, that's tricky too, is, all right, I want to create opportunities for myself, but where do I start? And one thing I love about relationships with horses is the simplicity. And I think we can learn from that in, you know, just keep it basic, keep it simple, uh, be kind, be generous and be grateful and then operate, operate that way. And the opportunities will present themselves as you work hard. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I was, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a former Navy SEAL and 
you know, he said, you know, the difference between military life for me was I had one choice of cold cereal. And uh, now, you know, now that I'm back stateside, I go into the grocery store and it's like ridiculous. Yeah, there's a whole entire aisle dedicated to it. There, right. There's a, there's a shot in that, that film Hurt Locker where that's exactly what happens is Jeremy Renner comes in and, you know, he walks down the cold cereal aisle and he's just overwhelmed with how many opportunities, choices there are. And so I think when we feel that way, um, it's one thing I, I love about being a horseman is remember how we stick to the simple things and you just, you're consistent and you work hard and you involve God in that with prayer and the opportunities will present themselves, which won't happen just sitting idle waiting for your ship to come in. You've got to be uh, proactive. And yeah, go you got to put in your end of the work. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's not going to get handed to you. Yep. And that horse, you know, on the horsemanship side, that horse sitting in the barn day after day isn't going to get it done yep. either, you know. Yep. So anyway, anyway, just at real world application from, you know, real, you know, your relationship with your horse, applying that to your job, your career, your other relationships, it's it all takes action. And that's so. been a huge motivating factor for me in this podcast is that you know, I truly believe in in my heart that the the horses fixed me and put me on a, a way better path than what I was headed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could tell my story till I'm blue in the face, but <laughs> it was getting real world experience on this show. People that have truly lived it firsthand. Yeah, you know these aren't these aren't folks that read a book about horsemanship or watched the video about struggling and overcoming that struggle. You know, these yep. aren't. 25 year old life coaches and, and motivational speakers who haven't accomplished a darn <laughs> thing in their life. You know, there's substance to every single story on here. Right. And, and I just kind of kick back and I'm just the platform that opens the door, you know? And, and, yeah. and I think in my experience and listening to everybody's stories, I, I learn so much from every single guest that I have, whether it's yeah. perspective, longevity, motivation, gratitude, faith, there's so many lessons to be learned and and the exciting part is, is that the horse is often a common thread and and most of the time a pretty darn proficient vehicle in driving those points home. Mm-hmm. Yep, agree. So I want to touch base. We talked a little bit before the show, you know, we're getting our audio and everything ready for for the show. Yeah. And, yep. And you had brought up um a recent experience that had to do with with closure of relationships and kind of leaving a lasting impression with, with those closest around you. Right. I I think there's a tremendous value in the story. Would you mind kind of sharing that experience? Yeah. So tonight, um, my wife and I are flying to Seattle to attend a funeral of a young man, uh, tomorrow. And, um, the story is, uh, this young man is, uh, 22, uh, he died uh, last a week ago, last Sunday night. He was driving home on the freeway at two in the morning and was returning to college after visiting his girlfriend for the weekend. And uh, he fell asleep at the wheel and rolled his truck there in southern Idaho. And, it, and the accident, he died. Um, his name was Joel. And uh, I was his... Uh, uh, youth advisor in our church, as well as his scoutmaster, uh, when my wife and I lived in Seattle a few years back. Um, and, uh, 
you know, when I got the call, it was surreal um, because this young man was just larger than life. He had this incredible, he has this incredible smile that just lights a room. And, um, you know, the, the news was shocking and uh, brought a lot of tears uh, to my family. Um, he was a friend of my son and um, my wife and I were very close with this young man and his family. And it just seemed like, um, quite frankly, I felt like it was pretty unfair that he was taken um, like that. And uh, so anyway, uh, it got me thinking about um, last Sunday I was sitting in church and I was thinking about um, the Sunday school lesson was preparing to meet God. And the question, actually, the the title of the lesson was, uh, are you prepared to meet God? And I really thought a lot about um, my relationship with God. And, of course, none of us would say yes. I don't think any of us would ever actually say, yeah, I'm prepared to meet God. Yeah, yeah. I'm not not rowing in that canoe, I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) Right, exactly, you know. But but the caveat is none of us know when that time is going to come for us. And when I think about Genevieve's accident, for example, um, who literally had her truck roll over the top of her um, as she laid face down in a, you know, she was thrown into an irrigation ditch and the truck rolled over the top of her. Um, there are many uh, reasons why she should have been killed in that accident. Just the physics of it all, etc. Another friend of mine, Amberly Snyder, was, in, was involved in her accident where her truck, she rolled her truck and was thrown from the vehicle and ended up being paralyzed because she hit a fence post there in Wyoming along the freeway. And, you know, um, the tremendous struggles that she's overcoming, uh, being partially, uh, paralyzed. I think of all these people who had similar accidents to my friend, Joel, who survived and were given their circumstances for the rest of their life. Joel lost his life. And so I'm not really sure why that happened. Other than for him, it was his time, and God took him home. But what it got me thinking about was my last conversation with him and my last conversation with my own son, who is 16 and driving and drives great distances by himself, hauling horses and stuff. And it just got me thinking about what was the last thing I said to my son before we hung up? You know, was I, was I cross with him? Was I kind? Was I gentle? Did I say the words, I love you? You know, certainly I'm sure knowing Joel's parents, this young man, um, I'm sure that that's been on their minds over the last week is, you know, what was the last thing I said to this young man? So I, yeah, I wanted to share that with you just as, you know, it was a real, um, you know, you know, it really hit home. Um, it was a solid reminder to me that uh, I'd better make sure that the last thing, the last exchange, the last touch uh, I had with people I care about, and frankly, anyone, was one of kindness, uh, forgiveness, Um. Uh, charity and uh, it's a huge life lesson in gratitude. Yeah. And just, yeah. Being grateful for that relationship. 
I, uh, I have a few people in my life who I've watched spend their most of their existence tormented waiting for an apology, um, waiting to forgive. Uh, and so I think that's the reason I wanted to share that story about Joel was it's a reminder that we shouldn't wait uh, to apologize and we shouldn't wait for that apology. Uh, we should strive to forgive quickly. You know, um, as you sit here and tell the story, I think about many moments in my life that parallel those same circumstances you explained and yeah, yeah. definitely evoke those same emotions. Uh, I had a high school teammate of mine. Uh, we were in college at the time, but he went away to school. I went away to school. There was a common weekend that we were supposed to be coming home. Mm-hmm. And we had talked midweek after practice or something and, you know, simple candid friend stuff. Hey man, give me a call Friday night. We'll get together when we get, get back in yep. town and, you know, yep. we'll go hang out for the night or whatever. Well, uh, I neglected to call him back, uh, after he asked to do so. And it just mm-hmm. so happens that the day that we hung out, he was killed in a motorcycle collision. Yeah. You know, and it, it really struck home for yep. me early on. I was in my early twenties. Yeah. That man, if I would if I would have made that one phone call like I said I was going to do and didn't. Yeah. Yep. You know, maybe we would have been hanging out and he wouldn't have been on that motorcycle. Yeah. It's you possible. Know, and, and it and it opened my eyes that you you can't take any relationship for granted. Right. Even even the ones that aren't going well. Yeah. And, and you talk about waiting for for apologies. I mean, I got another circumstance in my life where should I waited for two years to get one? Mm-hmm. Never got it. Right? Right. But right. I had to learn forgiveness. Yep. And I can't say I'm completely right with it. You know, it's been a long road for me, and and I'm a lot better than where I was. But when I said it's a lesson in gratitude, it, it just is that you, the relationships that we have in our life, good and bad, are there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And we can't take any of it for granted. Uh, there's right. lessons to be learned in all of it, good and bad. And I think it's, I think it's a marvel concept that you talk about about you know making sure your re- relationships are right, whether it's with boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, kid, whatever. Yeah, um, I think we've all had that Call. experience. Yeah, sometime in life, right, where you hang up the phone angry or you slam the door and, right. and leave town because you're pissed at your teammate. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, but that that might have been your last shot to see him. And really yeah. isn't going to hurt you that bad to sit there for another five minutes and maybe look at it from a different perspective, look at it from their perspective, separate yourself from your own scenario, you know, mm-hmm. try, try to find the right in it. Yeah, there's um, there's something interesting about, I want to circle back to the horses for a second along these lines. Those of us that have um, had, the, had this evolution as horse people, to where you go from being heavy-handed to learning a better way, a more gentle way. It's interesting how forgiving a horse is because um, you can have a real bad experience. And if you come back to that horse with a gentle hand and a forgiving, uh, or I would say a repentant heart, you know, for, uh, for causing the wreck, if you will, and you, you approach the relationship the next moment or the next day with a kind heart and a soft hand. My experience has been that a horse forgives. 
and they're willing to heal um, the relationship. And I think there's real takeaways as human beings there that we should be like the horse, that we should be willing to, not that we should sign up for abuse, because that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'm, talking about, I'm talking about two beings coming together and saying, I'm willing to start again. Yeah, I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to, get, I'm, I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to ask for forgiveness. And I'm willing to put my foot back in the stirrup and swing up and let's try this again. I think in today's world, um, and I think social media only compounds the problem because it causes us to focus so much on ourselves and self-promotion. Not to say that there aren't some great organizations and people out there who use social media to promote good, because I think there's a tremendous amount of that. Being willing to focus on someone else is a learned skill. As human beings, we don't naturally do that we're we're into self-preservation we're into self-promotion it's an interesting concept but horses yeah horses give us that opportunity to think about uh, the team rather than the individual and being willing to keep the team as the priority whether it's your marriage you know going to your spouse and saying i am sorry and then sincerely putting in the work to make sure that it does that it, the relationship is strengthened and that your spouse has renewed confidence in you and the relationship and your, and your family unit. I've been married before. I'm, I'm a divorced, divorced person and, and remarried. Um, I don't want to get into the mistakes that I made in relationships, but I can tell you that putting in the time is what makes the difference. We had a conversation with my wife and I the other night with another young friend that we have who Another college kid, just like Joel, uh, who was coming through the area and asked, they called up and asked if, if they could crash at our house. And we said, absolutely. Um, so this young man stayed with us overnight and we were teasing him about, you know, dating in the modern age. And he talks, you know, he told us a lot of funny stories about, you know, being a single guy and, and some of the funny things that happen in dating. But he was asking, he actually turned the tables on us and asked my wife, and I about some of the things that we've learned. We've been married 10 years and, and some of the things that we've learned through, uh, you know, our trials and fights and counseling sessions and that kind of stuff. And uh, there was some good stuff that um, we talked about. My wife brought up um, communication was right at the very uh, forefront of the conversation was that, You've got to be able to communicate with your, your business partner, your spouse, your child, your horse, whatever. It's just key. And stonewalling, you know, your partner is, is a waste of time and it's a waste of energy. But, you know, learning to apologize, learning to accept an apology and, and getting back in the saddle is uh, it's where the work is, you know. So. Yeah. And, and in a anyway, world of, wanted to mention that too. No, you hit the nail on the head because in a world of instant gratification mm -hmm. the one thing that 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 instant gratification ain't going to fix is hard work right you know it takes time yeah. it takes effort it takes ownership yeah and and a lot yep. of people I, i've had my struggles with it right mm -hmm. it's tough yep. to it's tough to admit when you're wrong and swallow that pill right or stick your foot in your mouth yeah. i mean i ain't even that flexible anyway but um it's tough it's tough yeah. You know, um, I want to talk about like starting Colts for just a second. If that's all right. Jason. No, absolutely. The floor is yours, sir. Uh, 
you know, to me, starting cults, now I'm talking about a cult that hasn't been abused, but I'm talking about a cult that's been imprinted or at least has been treated in a gentle way. You have, in many ways, a blank slate. And it's, you know, onward and upward from here. And as you work with the cult and the, the trust, the relationship of trust is built, amazing things happen. One of the experiments that I did one time, I was actually teaching a Sunday school lesson at church, was the, the subject was on hard work and marriage. So I had this room full of adults, and they were all, all of them were married. And thankfully, all of them uh, had their spouse there. So we did this experiment where I had them reach over and take their spouse's hand. Okay, so there's this physical touch, all right? And we talked about some of the challenges in the meeting. We talked about some of the challenges that come at families and some of the challenges that come at marriages. The rule was, as, as people shared their experiences and we talked about these things, you could not let go of your spouse's hand at all. It didn't matter how sweaty or how clammy it felt the entire time. Oh yeah, we're getting close now. Right. You had to, you could not <laughs> let go. No matter what happened, no matter what was said, you couldn't let go. And it was amazing to me because some people were really uncomfortable with that, you know, having to hold their spouse's hand for an hour. And yet I think the experience after all was said and done, um, some people, as they shared and listened to other people's experiences, it brought up things in their own mind of some of the things that they went through as a couple and some of the hard things they went through. Um, and some people shared with me that they wanted to, at that moment, they wanted to let go of their spouse's hand. It like triggered something that caused them to want to let go. And they couldn't, they had, you know, the rule was you couldn't do that. And it was kind of therapeutic because some people shared um, to me that it was a physical manifestation, you know, actually physically not letting go no matter what comes at you. And I think that's something that, um, you know, with horses, uh, the same thing works is you have that physical connection. Make sure that you don't let go. Make sure that that letting go doesn't turn to resentment or abuse or something like that. Um, I know for me and for my wife in our marriage, We've only been married 10 years, but some of the things we figured out is the communication and just don't let go. So foster the, in the relationship the ability to talk with each other in a very raw and very open and very honest way. Make sure you're creating an environment where you feel safe to do that. And then as you work through your stuff, just don't let go. You know, ride that horse. Oh, that's awesome. Ride that, you yeah. know, make it through the bronc yeah. ride because um, <laughs> hitting the ground sucks. Whether you yeah, know, at some point all four feet will hit the ground for that horse. Right. So so just hang in there, you know, bear down and grit your teeth and just don't let go. So No, that's great. And it, and it's I mean, especially in today's today's age, God, I don't even know what the current divorce statistics are, but No man. I think um, yeah. Well over half, if not into the sixty seventies, I would guess. Yeah, I was gonna say we're probably way over more than aren't. Yep. It all takes work. And it takes work on both parts and it takes self-reflection on both parts. Mm -hmm. And, and the toughest part is, is admitting sometimes that you're just flat wrong. Right. You know, none of us want to be, none of us <laughs> want to be wrong. No, nope. none of us want to be the weak link in the relationship, but you know what? 
there's been a few times where I just tuck my tail and, and walk it off. Cause yeah, yeah absolutely. Cause I, I was it, I was the problem. I was the issue. Yep. yep. But there's, there's tremendous growth that comes from that. I'm sure you, you would agree. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I mean, the level of strength that you achieve yep. after a moment like that, yep. it just, it prepares you for, for God only knows how many adversities and challenges. Yeah. Well, and I found in sincere relationships, when you're, when you have the maturity to admit you're wrong, and apologize. It's tough to do. It's tough to do, but you, you, you're able to do it. I've found that people, there's greater respect. The relationship is strengthened um, because you're willing to say, wow, I screwed up or I just realized I'm doing this wrong. And you'll yeah. be able to, you know, take your licks and then get back in the saddle, get back on the team. I, I've found that people, if your attitude is one of learning and, you know, Hey, I want to make this right. I found that most people, and I know horses will, I know that most people will give you that shot to, uh, all right, let's appreciate that. You know, let's get this, let's get this going again. Yeah. I'm reading a book on leadership right now and, uh, it has to do with, they talk about corporate leadership, but a lot of it is founded in, in military leadership. Mm-hmm. Long story short, there's a scenario where, uh, they end up in a blue on blue circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they have a huge debrief on the incident and, and everybody's trying to figure out how it came to be. Right. And they discuss a lot of that stuff, preparation, tactics, communication, yep, things that have direct relationships to marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them is accountability. Oh yeah. And this leader stood up in front of his group and, and he asked the simple question, man, how did this come to be? Mm-hmm. How did we get to this point? Mm-hmm. And the room was silent for a bit. And then folks started fessing up to their different different avenues where, you know, where they drop the ball. And every time is the leader's response is, nope, you're wrong. Nope, you're wrong. Nope, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And people are starting to look confused at that point because they're saying, hey, I made a mistake, mm-hmm. you know, and how, how is it not my fault? And then that leader stood up there and said, no, you know what? All this happened because of me. Right. I'm the one. I'm the commanding officer of this given scenario, mission, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. you know. I'm the reason this this all fell apart. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess in subsequent conversations, that leader's chain of command basically said, hey, dude, that was a huge turning point. And if you don't own up to that, there's probably going to be consequences. But because you've owned up to it and you've shown true leadership, mm-hmm. and true ownership of a problem, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's move on from here and, and, and we grow. And oftentimes we're so scared to take that licking. Yeah. But when you do own up to it, Okay, right. We make mistakes. Yeah. It happened. You own it. You move on and you grow. Yeah. Tremendous example to his men yeah. and women. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I thought. I mean, what a precedent. It would be motivating for me to work under a supervisor of that ownership. It, it, it almost fosters that level of ownership in myself. Yep. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. One thing I want to talk about, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, sure. is you mentioned a lot throughout this episode, your investment in youth, right? Yeah. Church youth programs. I mean, I've seen plenty of videos that you teach in survival. (laughs) You've uh, seen that. To the youngsters, right? Yeah. I didn't realize you'd seen that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, come on now. Yep. Okay. uh, You did your homework. I think it's huge. No, I truly think it's huge to invest in others because, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the youth, but they are our up and coming generations. Yes. Yes. Your life is so much more valuable when you dedicate yourself to something greater than yes. you as an individual. Yeah. So tell me or explain to me your motivation in a lot of this. Um, okay. 
Um, so I've been a scoutmaster uh, with the Boy Scouts of America off and on for a total of 15 years as a volunteer. I'm a Mormon, and uh, within the Mormon church, uh, there are opportunities to work with uh, the youth. I've got a 16-year-old son, and so I think that was part of the motivation was to be a part of his life and to help contribute to his development uh, into a man. Uh, he doesn't live with me. He lives with his mom. But, uh, you know, when he is home, we always try to do things that help uh, in a fun way, teach him skills. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see we rope together, we hike and climb, and we shoot guns, you know, just guy stuff. Where he doesn't live with me, the opportunity to be a scoutmaster uh, and work with a youth organization made a lot of sense because, you know, I wanted to be a part of helping young people learn new skills. I think um, with social media, you see, at least in the circles I run in, you see not enough of that. You know, the, the guys that I run with are very type A, alpha male type personalities. And uh, yeah, the peacocks of the flock. So, you know, uh, you know, the type that I'm talking about, you know, the guys that are, you know, they're always talking about being a badass. And to me, I've always felt like the strongest men were the ones who were willing to lift others, not the ones who were constantly taking selfies in their CrossFit gym. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I decided to put my money where my mouth was years ago and started to volunteer with the scouting organization and, and helping these boys. I had many men throughout my life who mentored me, my own father, my uncles, scoutmasters, church leaders, uh, friends in the neighborhood, and uh, athletics and with my coaches. And so I always wanted to kind of take what they taught and kind of pay that forward. So, yeah, the videos that you saw, I get opportunities on a fairly regular basis to teach survival, uh, which is one of my things that I'm big into is just self reliance and being, uh, being able to survive, uh, in an urban situation or wilderness situation. So I get these opportunities to be a guest instructor and that kind of thing. So the videos you saw, um, I took these 12 year old boys, myself and, and three other adult leaders. We took them to uh, scout camp and they learned for a week to live off the land. I've done this several times. So they learn everything from trapping and snares to how to build shelters and fire and basic first aid in the wilderness, you know, that kind of thing. Communications with radios and Morse code, all kinds of good stuff. You know, basic scout stuff that they've taught for many years. No, I think it's, so, I think it's basic when, when our generation has a perspective on it, but yeah, in a world of technology where folks are having a hard time just talking to each other, right? you know, versus sending a text message or an email. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's impressive, you know, that you're getting these kids back to, yeah, Back to Mother Nature. Yeah, and it's, it's funny. They, they really enjoy it. You know, their mothers, I've got some moms who are helicopter moms that are really concerned that little Johnny is going to die in the wilderness. Yeah, catch a splinter. Right. And what's interesting is I find that young men these days, you know, at least the ones that I'm involved with, they don't necessarily want to be coddled or have their helicopter mother hovering over them constantly. Yeah. I had a, a couple of years ago, we were up in the mountains here in Utah building snow caves. And one of the little boys, he was brand new to the troop. He was 12, was so excited to be there. And his mom shows up in her minivan and, and she wants to know that, you know, 
are you okay? You know, and I'll never forget. Uh, she walked over to where he was digging out his snow cave and he poked, she pokes her head up in the snow cave and calls out his name and says, you know, do you want to come home? Are you cold? You know, that kind of thing. And I'll never forget this 12 year old boy looked at his mom and said, mom, I'm just fine. And I'm building a snow cave and I'm going to sleep in it. I'm not coming home. And the rest of us was like, wow, you know, he kind of told her, but Touché. but at the same time, you know, it was like, here's this little, little man who is absolutely determined that he's going to spend the night sleeping in a snow cave in the middle of the mountains in Utah. And yeah, that's what I was going to say. Listen to his confidence. Yeah, it was great. And so I guess uh, long story short is what I'm trying to do with when I volunteer with these youth groups is, is to build men. That's what I'm trying to do is I'm a builder of men and women, young women who want to learn the skills as well. I haven't had a lot of opportunities. Uh, my wife and I always do those as a team when any of the young women uh, from youth organizations are involved. My wife is a great teacher as well, and she usually handles most of uh, teaching the young women while I take the young men uh, off into a separate uh, group. You know, But it's been interesting, though. So most of my focus has been on teaching youth groups these skills, but recently with Fieldcraft Survival, it's a group on on the internet, Fieldcraft Survival on Instagram, they do a phenomenal job of giving opportunities to people of all ages to learn self-reliance and survival. They recently asked me to, or hired me to be a guest instructor on a overland trip that we did from Utah to, uh, well, from Logan, Utah, to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And we took a group of, uh, I think there was 12 uh, adult men on this uh, three-day trip, three, four days. And we started out in uh, Polaris Razors, and we went through the mountains of Utah, and then we dropped off the Razors and took trucks up into Wyoming and, and camped, uh, taught them to build shelters. They actually killed chickens and learned some of the men had never done that. They'd never killed their own food. Isn't that crazy? Um, one gentleman, um, you know, that was dinner. And he came to me the, that night and he said, okay, here's the deal. I'm from Canada, this location. I've lived a pretty privileged life. I've always had what I needed. I've never had to do this. I've never had to survive. And I you know, I don't, I need your help. So I was like, Hey man, no problem at all. Let's, let me show you how to do this. And, you know, this was dinner for him. So he knew that he was going to go hungry if he didn't kill this animal and dress it out and cook it up. Yeah. So I showed him how, and later, and he did great. And later that night he came to me and said, I appreciate that, what you did. And I want you to know that was a first for me. I've never done that before, but I'm grateful to have the skills now that if I had to, I could, I could feed myself or my family. I think these are skills that are perishable. And I think these are skills that a lot of folks, you know, we live in such, uh, most of us are very affluent, you know, by the world's standards. And so we think that, you know, Costco is where our, all of our food comes from. And for most of us right now, that's where it does come from. But what happens if Costco goes away? Yeah. So it's important for me to teach uh, these skills what I've been taught and share that knowledge and uh, help people out, make them uh, help them to have the skills to be more uh, self-reliant. So no, it's great. And I mean, yes, you're, you're teaching them a, a skill set, but there's so much more value you're bringing to their life, right? As far as discipline. Yeah. 
you know, an attitude. Yes, self-confidence. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's more to it. And that was kind of my biggest draw. I, I haven't hunted for years mm-hmm. just because my life got so busy. I didn't have the time for it. But yep. one of the greatest things for me was I, I love to bow hunt, right? Yeah. It's you and a bow. Yep. That's it. Yep. And you're out competing against Mother Nature. Yeah. Right? You got to learn how to figure out a lot of things. I, I mean, just as far as deploying the actual hunt, right? Right. Being able to get to an animal and navigate and stalk and yep. and perform a good humane kill of that animal. Yep. But a lot of it is is life lessons and just that self-reliance and discipline and and planning survival, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing when you shouldn't shouldn't be out in the elements, and mm-hmm. there's so much value that comes out of out of those survival situations as far as personal growth. Other than the fact of yeah, you're surviving a, another day. Yeah, you know it's interesting, Jason. One of the uh, posts that you may have noticed on my Instagram lately was a, uh, a person's foot. Yeah, please tell me that wasn't your that foot. was not my foot. That was my friend's foot from scout God. from scout camp. I look terribly painful oh, and for those of you that, that haven't seen this photo kurt if you could take like two seconds to kind of describe how it came yeah. to be and what, what the actual photo was yeah so this gentleman uh, is a friend of mine who uh was at camp was at scout camp with the boys and wore the wrong shoes you know trying to keep up with the boys and uh you know tough it out uh he paid the price and if you look on my instagram it's just kurt little c-u-r-t-l-i-d-d-l-e you'll see that I posted that he, he gave me permission to post this photo as a reminder to the rest of us that you've got to take care of your body. You've got to take care of your yeah, feet. Absolutely. Um, you know, whether we're talking urban survival, living in the city or out in the wilderness, it's so critical to take care of your feet. You, you know, you could be on the hunt and you get totally into the hunt and you're totally focused on the pursuit of this animal. You forget that you need to take a break change your socks, dry your feet out, and then continue the, the effort. Well, he didn't, and he wore the wrong shoes, and he paid the price. He had uh, tr- these tremendous blisters on both feet. His other foot looks just as bad. I was going to say, that's going to be a terrible recovery. Yeah, yeah, we were out. Oh, I feel so bad for yeah. him. Yeah, so uh, it was just a, you know, like I said, he gave me permission, just post this and let people know I made a huge error in not, not paying attention to my feet. And my body. You know, when we do these survival courses, one of the things that I do is um, at one point we have everybody take their shoes off and try and walk through the woods. I mean, just walking across gravel barefoot is painful. And so um, this segues into this uh, unit where we take cardboard and duct tape and we make shoes uh, out of cardboard and duct tape. And it's just, it's just interesting because uh, it's a great uh, lesson in humility for people as we use this as a metaphor where, you know, all we have to do is take your shoes away and you're in a bad place all of a sudden. Yeah. Now life's real uncomfortable. Right. So number one, be grateful that you've got, you know, the ability to, you have shoes and two, you know, learn that your life can change. Your circumstances can change in the blink of an eye. So, uh, and then, and then you've got to be able to respond to that and adapt and build your shoes so that you can continue the fight. No, what a great mission. So what a great mission. Yeah. I hope did that, good, that, good stuff. did that give you the information you wanted about the survival stuff? And hopefully it did. No, absolutely. I mean, I think it's great because okay. what I was trying to get to is, it's just the legacy, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you yourself as Kurt Little have developed a skill set. Yeah. 
and a mentality and an approach through everything, right? Through your cowboying days and, and you know, your business work. And yeah. some of those lessons required some pretty painful experiences. Mm-hmm. And if, if you could help the next generation of kids or men coming up yeah, and, and learn those lessons without having to go through the, the trauma or the pain, yeah, you know, why not? And good on you for it because as you've explained in, in your many scenarios or your many examples that people are very, very grateful for the growth and the time and the, the investment that you've made in them. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, at the end of the day, I, I hope to just share the experiences and knowledge and hopefully it helps somebody else, you know? And that's what it, I've been fortunate enough in interviewing the guests of this show is every guest with, comes with such a high level of humility it, it does not come across as arrogance. It does not come across as boasting. They're they're very fortunate for all of their circumstances, good and bad, and, and that's just it, what you just talked about. They're just sharing their experience yeah. with the genuine hope of helping the next man. Yeah. You know, and that's that's what's that's what's been so motivating and so rewarding for me, is that we're starting to develop a very good core group of people that that are really investing in others and, and hopefully we can reach out and touch a few lives in doing so. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to, to share today. You know, I, um, that's it's my story, but, uh, yeah, hopefully it, it helps somebody else, you know, give, no, it's been an awesome one, Kurt. I, I very much appreciate your time. And, and before we go in all of your experience, you know, do you have any kind of parting words you would like to share with folks or, or, at least tell folks how they can get a hold of you, you know, whether they want to go down sure. a graphics art route or a camo route or maybe maybe invest in some of these survival schools you're, you participate yeah, in. Yeah, you bet. I think probably the best way is to reach out on Instagram. Uh, it's probably the number one social media outlet I use for my stuff. So it's just Kurt, C-U-R-T, little L-I-D-D-L-E on Instagram. And I'd be, you know, happy to answer any DMs or, you know, questions. Parting words is I... Try and keep life simple. Focus on foundational principles. Uh, don't overcomplicate things. I think life can be pretty overwhelming. And so I think, you know, staying focused on if you could put your, if you could put God at the center of your life, however you choose to worship. Like I said, I'm a Mormon, um, but whatever religion I have, uh, I have nothing but praise for people who put God and, and their relationship there first. And then your marriage, your relationships there with your family, second. And then I think everything else works out if you put those things first. Um, so just keep it simple, stay focused, and uh, and give back. Give to others, and it comes back. You know, that'll pay it forward. It definitely uh, is a cycle. And eventually those blessings that you you do for other people, things the way you serve always comes back. So that's what I would say. Well, Kurt, thank you again for making time for Let Freedom Reign. Yeah, absolutely. You're an amazing, amazing human being, and, oh, and thank shoot. you for your investment in others. Well, <laughs> you're too kind, man. I, I appreciate your words. I'm glad to be here. Good stuff. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you down the road. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, Go to patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. Again, we thank you and we'll see you on the next one.